If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. I switched to Boost Mobile and got a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Want to know the best part? Uh, it was free? Nope. The fact that it's on America's largest 5G networks? Nope. It's the ding. Oh, yeah. Love the ding. Right? It's all about the ding. It's the dingarooski, the dingarona, the ring-a-ding-ding. Unleash your power to save with Boost. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone when you switch. Boost Mobile. Unleash your power. And the ding. Limited time offer. New customers only. Available on select networks. 5G not available everywhere. One device per line. Tax excluded. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details. What's up, y'all? This your boy David with Blackwell Friend of Songs. And I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Do you know the rules of the game? Yeah. You know the rules of the game? I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Let's talk. Can you make me that? If you can't make me that, I won't talk to you. Hey, I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is growing money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on do what I want to do. Have kids, go live my chip and joy in the game life out here in Texas or struggle for next year. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Your boy, David Bellar, one-fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance, checking in with my co-host. Fellas, how y'all feeling? What up, what up, what up? It's your boy, Jalen, checking in. Feeling great. It's another lovely Saturday. We out here having great, great, great days. How y'all doing, man? What's good, y'all? It's your boy, Jerry, checking in, man. Another fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast, man. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling lovely today. It's amazing. I'm getting a lot of work done today on this Saturday. I kind of got backlogged by the rain, but, you know, getting a lot of stuff done. It's raining up that, man. I saw Shreveport was, like, halfway flooding and stuff. Damn. Man, look, I was trying to work on my garden today. I couldn't even get out there. <laughs> right, none of that. Yeah, man, I, I'm just happy to be on with y'all, man. Willie Mandrell, I'm not part of the Black Renaissance. <laughs> I'm the guest for today, but just happy to be on with y'all, man. Yeah, so it's a real pleasure. Love what y'all doing in the wealth building and the educational space and just happy to share a little bit with y'all listeners. You know, so. For sure, so, man. Willie, we definitely appreciate you coming on the podcast today, man. I know the people, they may not be familiar with you. Uh, Willie was featured on the page a while back as one of our heroes over the hump. He's doing great work out in Boston and really across the nation or as a real estate developer and just a wealth builder. So we happy to have him on. And yeah, for sure, Willie. So let's get started. 
can we get you to introduce yourself to our audience and give them introduction to how yeah. you got started to getting where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So I um dude, I, so I'm gonna give y'all a little spill right here. So I'm patient, <laughs> but now nah, I um my grandmother was in real estate since like the fifties. Like she bought, she came up, she was down in Macon, Georgia, moved up here in the fifties to Boston. Somebody introduced her to real estate and just said, Hey, you should go buy this brownstone. For those not familiar with Boston, brownstone is one of the ones anytime you look at Boston on a map, you see or you Google Boston, you know the brownstone uh, real estate. She had a uh, you know one of those, and it was a rooming house, and she did pretty well. Was paying down the mortgage, and you know, kind of slowly started to kick people out, and kind of just took it over herself. Did really well for herself. And when my father and my uncle came along, it was a different story. They, she tried to hand them too much of the empire, so to speak. She had actually went out and bought a couple more of those. My father got mixed up in the drugs. My uncle didn't want to have anything to do with it, so you know, she kind of learned her lesson, you know, it's that, that, you know, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, you know, right? You teach a man to fish, give him a fish, teach him to fish type of scenario. So when me and my brothers came along, she was more of the mindset, I'm going to teach y'all how to fish. So she was constantly, you know, preaching to us from day one, buy real estate, you know, hold on to it, rent it out. Have you ever known me to work? I remember her asking me that question over and over again. Have you ever known me to work? And that was deep because I was like, when I got older, I started to realize, I was like, no, I have never known you to work because you was always getting that cash flow from the rental real estate. So I ended up, I had a weird career in the beginning. I ended up like dropping out of high school when I was 16. And then oddly enough, went to work, realized that I needed, I remember a gentleman, you know, was telling me, he was like, you need your high school diploma in order to make any money. So I went back, got my GED. And I was always really ambitious and aggressive in terms of, you know, pursuing income. So I got to the next level and, you know, got a couple of raises and guys said, if you really want to make some money, you need your college degree. So no joke, dropped out of high school at 16. By the time I was 17 and a half, I was already a freshman in college when everybody else was going through their senior year in high school, <laughs> you know, in my <laughs> class, dude. So I'm rolling, I'm driving a, you know, Mazda 626 to college while everybody else is in math class in high school in their senior year. So it was kind of a weird career. Ended up going to Northeastern, graduating from there. And then when I got out of school, still wasn't listening to my grandmother. I was like, I'm going to go buy a condo. She said, don't do it. Buy something with multiple units. And I took a step back. I'm glad I listened to her. It's been the best. That was 2006. Give y'all an idea how old I am. (laughs) So, but what's important about 2006 though, is if y'all remember 2007, 2008, we had the stock market crash. We had the housing market crash. So I purchased my first home in 2006. You couldn't lose in 2006, 2007, 2008, all of a sudden, you know, it's a different story. But I don't regret any of that. I'm glad it happened. I wouldn't say glad, but I learned a lot from riding the market down, right? I remember listening to something in my economics class about Warren Buffett. And Warren Buffett was the type of guy that said, when everybody's running left, you look right. And y'all probably, y'all quote, y'all, y'all be on there. Y'all know the exact words. But he said something along those. Like when people are being greedy, you know, be cautious. When everybody else is being cautious, be greedy. And I remember that. So 2012, 2013, 2014, when everybody else is like, ah, I don't really know, blah, blah, the market, the next recession, I'm snatching up multifamilies left and right for half of what they're going for in Boston today. So that's kind of me. And, you know, I did pretty well for myself, started a real estate investment group and initially, initially started out as Boston Wealth Builders. I wanted to spread the word, teach other people about how wealth is built through real estate. And as I mentioned, y'all, before we got started, wealth, Boston Wealth Builders is now Wealth Builder Nation. We're in several other cities with several cities planned for the future, Boston, Chicago, Atlanta, Austin, uh, and targeting several other areas of the country. 
just kind of spreading that word. I mean, real estate, I'm in Boston, but real estate is the same everywhere, right? I mean, you might have a different economics a little bit down in some, you know, some certain areas, but for the most part, the mechanics of it work all together, man. So that's me, you know, kind of in a nutshell, I guess. Nah, my brother, hey, man, great story. I love it. And there's definitely a few parts in there that we got to come back and kind of <laughs> dissect and really get into the, no get into the meat and potatoes for this. So I think one of the biggest things was, like you said, what your grandmother done with your dad and your uncle and how she corrected it with you and your brother. So like the way that you said, you know, she just gave them too much. And I had the question I would always ask, you know, you see a lot of older people with property and stuff. Why don't their kids have the property? Or why does it kind of always seem like it kind of skips that generation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I never thought of them. They might have been a little bit harder on their children or gave them a little bit more to chew than what they can chew. Give them more to bite on than what they can chew. And so I just never thought of it like that. Yeah, no, I think, I don't know if I read it on y'all page or somewhere else, but that exact same now is right. It was, everybody's talking about, I want to give my kids more than I had. And somebody, I can't remember where I read it, but somebody was like, you shouldn't be giving your kids more than what you have. You should be teaching your kids more than what was taught to you. And that's resonated with me because I was like, oh yeah, that's, that was the problem. It was too much. Well, I didn't have this. So I'm going to give the kid this, right? That's not the way we should be looking at it. It should be, I wasn't taught this. So I'm going to teach my kids this. And I think that's where my grandmother recognized her mistake. And she said, I'm going to correct it when y'all come along, right? I'm going to make sure your father's gone now. I'm 36 right now, and I haven't talked to my father in, you know, uh, 30 years plus, you know, so I was raised by my mother and my grandmother, and she didn't want that mistake that he made or my uncle made to be, you know, trickled down, right? She said, basically, I'm going to teach you how to fish instead of giving you the fish, so. And can we kind of talk about what did that look like as a child? Like, how did she kind of teach you guys on a scale that it was able for y'all to grasp at a young age? Yeah, no, I mean, dude, I mean, as early as I can remember, I remember I was telling somebody the other day, I remember the broomstick being taller than me, but I was still sweeping down the stairs, right, at each of the rental properties. I remember, you know, her taking us out and saying, hey, we own this property and we own this one over here and I need you to sweep down the stairs and I need you to knock on door number six and tell them, you know, she still owes us $100 for for the month of May or whatever it may be. And then I remember she having this little office in the kitchen Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And I just remember her doing the books there, you know, and just watching her doing what she was doing was just kind of, you know, inspiring. I mean, I know it's different today. I mean, not too much different because I remember I talking to a friend of mine who lives in the Boston area and she runs an Airbnb. And she's always talking about how she's hopping. She's got a 14-year-old daughter and she hops on the Airbnb website and she shows her daughter what she made for the month and you know, how much the cost of cleaning up the property and then paying off the mortgage and just getting them involved as much as possible at a young age so they understand what work is and they understand what it takes to get to where you know, their parents are. That's really, really major, bro. Like that exposure, because I think Whenever we talk about teaching, a lot of the times we think of teaching in that very traditional school sense, like a I put this information in your face, you learn this information. But the best way to really learn, honestly, is through doing and like examples, like really seeing good examples. Like you said, you've seen her doing the books. It's a little different versus her just telling you about, oh, this is the property. This is what it is. 
if I see you writing these numbers down and understanding the importance of all this, you can internalize that process a lot better and like apply it to your life. And I mean, it make a lot of sense why now when everybody was scared, you went buy up all those multifamilies instead of just sitting on your hands and being like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Man. I, I just I feel like, you know, success wouldn't be what it is if everyone had it. Right. I mean, not everybody can be successful. Not everybody's going to be LeBron James. Not everybody's going to be Tiger Woods. Right. Those individuals are unique because they have something or, you know, they succeeded at a level that most people haven't. So I just figure like, if I'm running with the crowd, how can I possibly be successful, right? If I'm running in the same direction, unless there's a real fire, I encourage, you know, if there's a real fire and you run in the direction where everybody else is running towards the exit, bro. But other than that, like, you know, with your finances, I had to learn how to not listen to my uncles, right? I had to learn how to not, and no, this is no disrespect to them, but, you know, they weren't where I was trying to get to, right? So, I mean, I had to basically say, stop running with the crowd. I think that's the hardest thing for people to understand is, when your aunt's telling you to do something, your mother's telling you to do something, your cousin's like, oh, don't do that. It's hard for people to turn around and say, no, I'm going to go in my own way. I'm going to go my own direction. But that's part of being successful. That's part of being you know, a unique individual because the majority of people are not going to achieve it. So you have to be able to make your own path and look at the people who are where you want to be, even if you don't have a direct relationship and look and kind of emulate the things that they're already doing, so to speak. So It's really crazy that you speak to that in that capacity because even with ourselves, like throughout our team, some of our parents like have, when we were first starting Black Wealth Renaissance, we're not still now. Still to this fully, day. Yeah. And I mean, still now, mm-hmm. weren't the craziest about it because they didn't fully understand. But it's like, sometimes you still have to be able to take that advice and, you know, take it to the chin, understand they giving it from the heart and it, keep pushing and doing what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you, man. My mother is the same way. I'm the, you know, some people ask me why I work so hard. Hopefully she never sees this, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, why I work so hard is because I feel like I'm part of that. Um, you know, I don't know what another way to describe it. Maybe there's a term out there, but I call it the middle generation, right? Where I'm looking backwards and I'm saying, you know, my wife's parents are Vietnamese immigrants. So we're looking out for them and saying, Hey, you know, they brought her over to have a better life. Right. But you know, there's not a lot of retirement savings. There's not a lot of wealth built up there. And then my mother, again, was with the absence of my father, just trying to survive in some respects. I still get a little upset with her because I'm all like, Ma, you should go get your real estate license. You should just, ah, yeah, you know, I'll figure it out. And I'm just like, nah, I mean, you waking up every day and you missing an opportunity. But so I feel like when I say that middle generation is I'm looking backwards at my in-laws and I'm looking backwards at my mother and saying, how do I take care of them? And I'm also looking forward at my two children and saying, damn, I got to figure out a way to, to teach them and make sure that they're good as well. And then also plan for my own retirement and my wife and everything else. So, you know, when people look at me and they're like, oh, I don't know if they directly say it, but you get that impression. Like, don't you have enough? Or don't, when are you going to stop? Or why do you need more? I'm not just trying to look out for myself. I'm trying to look out for the generation that came before me and the generation that's coming after me as well. And then possibly after the generation after them as well. So, you know, that's just kind of the way I'm thinking about things and the way I kind of approach my, you know, my business and my daily life. So. Hey, that's deep. That's deep. I love that one, man. Looking out for the past and the future, man. That's, I think that's the part of generational world that we don't talk about, like the actual having the past up. Because, you know, we always talk about passing down, passing down. But like you just mentioned, a lot of the people from the previous generation, they really they didn't have this knowledge. They didn't take advantage of a lot of these different things that you're doing. So that's another necessary part of it. Yeah. I know a lot of people who like their retirement, they don't look that 
they not in the best shape to retire right now, especially with what just happened with the stock market. A couple people 401k just so. And that's why I preach real estate. I preach it because you're absolutely right. If you was planning on retiring, and I, this is the lesson I learned from 2006, 2007. I remember, and it hurts me to this day. I remember people, I used to go on you know, a Walmart that was over to me and you wouldn't see too many old people. 2007, 2008, 2009, all of a sudden you saw 70-year-old ringing up cashiers, 80-year-old greeting people at the door, 70-year-old stocking the shelves. Why? Because those people, all the people that thought that they was good you know, in 2006 and all of a sudden a retirement account took a hit by 50%, right? If you're trying to retire with, even if you got a half a million dollars and you get hit 40%, you know, in a dip, what you thought was good is no longer good. I'm here in the Northeast, right? And $50,000 is a respectable salary, but I mean, it's not, it's going to get you by, right? So let's say you have a, you know, I did this math somewhere along the line, a million dollars in the bank or a million dollars in your portfolio, and you were trying to retire at 60, even if you live that gives you, I mean, again, I'm trying to make the math simple, but if you get a return, you might get to 22 years or whatever like that, but that's about 20 years. You live past 80 and you are already out of money with that lifestyle. And then the other thing that somebody said to me along the way that kind of opened up my eyes and what makes me so hungry and so aggressive is they was like, look, I know what you're saying. You're saying if you get a million dollars, even if you live for 20 years, you live till 80, retire 60, blah, blah. But think about this. They was like, do you spend more money on during the week or on the weekends? And I'm like, of course I spend more money on the weekends. I'm out, I'm chilling, blah, blah, blah. When you retire, isn't every day a weekend? Mm, mm. I was like, oh shit, you're right. <laughs> so he was like, how can you money? Exactly. He was like, you're going to have grandkids. You're going to want to take them to Disney. You're going to want to go out to dinner. You want to go to Bengal. You want to get out the house unless you sit and plan on sitting there in your retirement just watching TV all damn day. Because now you've got an extra 40 hours on your hands that you didn't have before. What are you doing with that time? Unless you're just going to sit there and ride away you're probably going to end up spending more money than you do in retirement. So if you think that if you're living off 50 grand today, if you think that you're going to, even with inflation and, you know, your adjusted cost for, you know, for living, even if you had a $50,000 salary in retirement, that's probably not going to hold you over. So when I'm thinking about that, when I'm out there buying real estate, I'm thinking about, shit, I got to supplement my income, my mother's, you know, in-laws, wife, blah, 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 and be able to do something with it. So it's just, uh, Wealth can't wait, man. You got to attack it. You know? <laughs> Wealth can't wait. I like Love that. that. Yeah. So, Willie, I do kind of want to go back into your story because you touched on it earlier again in 06, whenever you went and bought your first property right before that economic downturn. Could you tell us, like, I know you said you walked away from the condo. What was that first deal that you ended up getting into? Two family. Two family FHA. You know, the FHA is a powerful tool, man. You know, like I said, if you can get into something with three and a half percent down, um, you're taking control of an asset. I tell you, like I said, just to give you some hard numbers from, you know, here in Boston, I'm right outside Boston. I'm, you know, maybe 15 minutes outside the city. And in 2006, I bought that multifamily for 400. So what was I putting down? Like 12,000, 13,000, whatever like that. You know, I'm the type of person, I knew how important it was that most people, oh, I, I don't know if I could save up 13 Gs. Dude, I had an extra, I was working two jobs and going to school and I borrowed like five G's from my mother. And I, you know what I'm saying? So I did what I had to do to scrape that money together because I knew that once I got that asset, you know, my tenant was paying right from the jump 1700. My mortgage was 25. Damn. So, you know, like I said, so it was right off the jump. I was paying $800 for an apartment that I should have been paying 1700 for, you know what I'm saying? So 
And I'll tell y'all some other rents in here in Boston are crazy right now. If y'all blown away with that, that was 2006, bro. I tell you some, man, I'm renting out some stuff right now that I couldn't even afford myself, bro. <laughs> it's crazy. But that's the thing though is, right, is, and I, the thing, the reason why everybody else was getting foreclosed on and losing, I wouldn't say everybody else, but while you saw foreclosures start to tick up and people losing their homes, because they went out and bought single families, right? And if you lost your job, then you don't have any other income coming in. Whereas a multifamily, and I'm not even buying twos anymore. We're buying, this, I don't know if you guys know anything, Boston, everything's a three family here. We got the triple deckers, you know, stacked mm-hmm. up. So we're buying three families and if you, two rents are pretty much paying off your, all your expenses and you're pretty much living in that last one for free. So, you know, I kind of learned from that. Went out and bought another three family. I flipped the FHA into a conventional. And then if y'all know, y'all can use the FHA again. Um, went out and bought the second one with FHA. Me and my wife, we weren't married at the time. I, you know, she was my girlfriend. We had been together for four or five years. I felt like there was a, you know, a proposal. Like I felt like we was going to stay together. So I was like, shit, well, she got an FHA too. So I told her to go out. We saved up some dough together. She pulled some money out of her 401k. I gave her some cash. She went out and bought another three. So now we got two, three, three, and then she's got an FHA, right? So, and this is the thing I preach because people are like, oh, I don't really want to live in a multifamily. I don't want tenants. I want to live in a single family. Buy that multifamily first. You don't have to be there forever, right? So she's got a three. I got a three. I got another two. We went out and bought another single family, what we actually wanted to live in with 5% down. So now we got our single family plus eight units, all with minimal down payments, just from playing the game the way it's supposed to be played. Hey, that's that's now, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Cause I have to act like the people from the Instagram comments for me. Nah, I do believe me. I read some of y'all stuff and it be making me mad. I'd be like, bro, I'll be hearing people say, Don't buy a house because I don't want to live there for 30 years. I'd be like, you can sell the house, bro. You don't have to live there for 30 years. It's not a 30-year commitment. This is like a marriage. When you say I do forever, <laughs> it's only 50% of the time that that actually is forever, bro. <laughs> like, you know, so they, they, so, but go ahead and address it. Go ahead and address it. Oh, no, no, no. I was even, but you kind of spoke to it too, because uh, I feel like a lot of people are going to say, well, how do I go out and, you know, I trust somebody enough to go buy a property with them or do something like that. I had this conversation yesterday with my guy. He's a, he's a good friend of mine. And, you know, he was like, oh, I can't, I'll, no, I'm not going to call him out because I don't want his girl to get mad at me for, for <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm not going to say any names, but he was like, Okay, so how do I know? Like, is he, he was like, I see what you're saying, but what if me and my girl don't stay together, right? You, you said, so I was like, look, bro, if you buy a house right now, y'all buy something together, and let's say it appreciates, and y'all, in, you know, here in the Northeast, things are crazy. Let's say 10 years from now, it's worth $200,000 more, right? And y'all don't stay together. Would you rather be in court fighting over that $200,000, or would you rather have never had done anything? That way y'all can just break it off clean. And y'all, that way y'all don't have anything to fight about, right? That makes no sense to me. I'd rather be in court fighting over something than to say, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, we don't split that too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Or, or you can never invest, and then y'all don't have to, you don't have to worry about it because you don't have nothing to split over. So that's the way I looked at it. I was like, you know, at the time, I'd been with my girl for a little while as well, and I didn't know for certain. You never know. I mean, that's, I mean, 50 statistics say it's 50% of marriages end in a divorce in the United States anyway, right? So there's a 50 50 chance that we not going to make it, right? So, but at the same time, I was looking at it, I was like, dude, if we make it 10 years and I didn't do this, that's just foolish. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could have had an extra asset in my name. Now I'll tell you, there's too much upside to it, right? Because 
we did do it, that same $15,000 that we scraped together, she took a little bit out of her 401k, dude, has paid off, came back around, the property appreciated, right? We took $50,000 out of the property, paid off her student loans for Northeastern. This is five years ago. Took another, and I'm not trying to talk big money stuff to y'all. I'm just, like I said, I'm just- No, just, talk your stuff, no, brother. Talk your <laughs> stuff. <laughs> you know, took another $200,000 out of the property. So it's been 10 years now or so and built a house for ourselves that we now live in right now, right? It helped fund. We basically bought a house, that single family I was telling y'all about that we bought. We tore that down to the foundation and built another house based on the asset, you know, pulling out the, and still own the actual property itself at the end of the day, if that makes sense to y'all, right? It will. Yeah, it makes sense. But I need you to explain this for the people. Cause like, I think this is a concept people miss all the time with real estate. Like you pulling the equity out, right? Mm-hmm. But you're not putting any money up because you're a tenant is paying all this down right so like where is the downside in it there is no downside and this is what blows my mind this is why i'm on here talking to y'all because i I need people to understand this right because there's enough out there. i'm gonna be in mindset where i don't have to keep this to myself because there's enough out there for all of us right so i'll give you the a little bit harder numbers right so when we bought the place the rents were about fifteen hundred dollars and this is her place right and our mortgage was roughly three thousand dollars but it was a three family. Sorry. So the rents were about 1500. We had three families. We were pulling out $1,500 a month. And that's why I had the confidence to go to somebody and say, Hey, can I borrow this seven grand from you? Because I know I'm getting $1,500 a month and I could pay you back over the next six months. We did that. Right. But rents don't stay the same. Your mortgage payment is likely going to stay pretty much where it is. Your taxes are not going to jump up that much. Your insurance is not going to jump up that much. So let's say my mortgage payment went up to $3,200. But over the next five years, rents are now $2,000 a unit. So $2,000 a unit, I'm getting $6,000. So I can go back to the bank and say, I initially borrowed $300,000 for you, but now I'm getting $6,000 a month from this property. I need another $200,000 to take, it's called a cash out refinance, right? So you still own the property. You're just putting more debt on that property, which is okay because now the rents are still covering that $500 or $600,000 mortgage, right? And this doesn't, it's not a Northeast thing. It's not a Boston thing. If you can take those same exact numbers and apply it to anywhere in the country and the system works exactly the same. So all we did was pull out cash and a cash out refinance and use that cash to go out and build. And what's crazy about it is we didn't go out and take that cash to go on vacation, right? We didn't take that cash and go and go have a lavish wedding or buy Range Rovers with or anything like that. We took that cash and invested it right into another asset. This one not income producing, but let's say we bought the house for 300, we put 200 into it, it's probably worth seven now. So we actually created even more equity within that asset that we have there. You know, so, and that's wealth building, man. That's wealth building, that's fine. I didn't always notice, I didn't always, you know, some of it's experimental. You have to kind of just dive in and just kind of, you know, see where things go, but you know, that's it. Hey, that's some boss ass shit right there, man. I love it, bro. <laughs> so I kind of want to get back, get a little bit deeper into like the real estate though. So now with the way that the current market is changing and how are you kind of like focused? What is your niche now? Are you still focused on the multifamilies? Are you kind of like going up out of there trying to go to apartments? How are you navigating that? So my thing is I've always loved the residential multifamily, right? So that means that for those of you that are not familiar, residential multifamily, when people say multifamily, people start thinking I'm talking about 20 units. I'm talking about two to four units, two, three, and fours. And I feel like there's more opportunity there. Once you get up into five, 10, 15 units, you're dealing with a lot of sophisticated investors and stuff like that. So I told you my, you know, I got a three FHA, wife got a three FHA. We go get another conventional. 
at a certain point, the lenders are going to start looking at you and saying, you're a real estate investor, right? We're not, tag- we're not going to give you any more conventional financing. So what you have to do is you have to start looking at commercial financing. You can get, and when I say that, people think I'm talking about supermarkets. Commercial finance, you can use commercial financing to buy residential property, right? As long as it's in a LLC and you're renting it out. So I started looking at commercial financing and I'm looking at the BRR strategy. That's all I do is buy, renovate, rent, and refinance. So my whole portfolio is built right now on buying rundown multifamilies that need extensive amount of work. We just closed on one 48 hours ago, right? Put some money into it, new appliances, new carpet, paint, fix up the kitchen, fix up the toilet, you know, the bathroom, and then rent it out. You know, and then like I said, in the, in the perfect situation, you put, you know, call it 50,000, 100,000 into the property and you increase the property by enough that you can pull that money right back out. So the idea is to give you, you know, some solid numbers again. You buy at 3, you put 100 into it, that's you're into it for 4, but at the end of the day the property is worth 6, right? So if you're now if you go back to the bank and say the property's worth 6, you can probably pull that $100,000 that you put into it back out of the property and reuse that again. That's the BRR strategy at its finest. And that's how you keep going and using that money. And I know here's the other objection, because I know a lot of people have talked about this before. Okay, well, Willie's got $100,000. I don't have $100,000. I can't run the BRR strategy. No, Willie doesn't. He doesn't have $100,000 sitting in a bank account chilling. That's private money. That's using your connections. That's using going out there and having a portfolio, showing people what you're doing, hopping on stuff like this and putting your name out there. And then people say, well, how do I invest with you, right? I got $100,000 sitting in a 401k or a self-directed IRA that I'd love to tap into, lend to you. I say, okay, I'll give you 8% on your money. That's more than you're getting in the stock market right now. 10% on your money, more you're getting in the stock market right now. They say, cool, Will, I use that money for six months, do what I got to do give them their money back. And now I'm basically sitting on a three family property that I bought with no money out of my own pocket whatsoever. Damn. That's a little deeper. That's a little deeper. That's the next level stuff. I mean, you maximize those conventional loans as much as you possibly can. But then the next level is that BRR, you know, buy, renovate, pull the money back out and turn that and just keep going. And then again, if you tap into the private money side, then your problem is deal sourcing because now you could do as many lent deals as you want. You just got to find the right properties to actually go out there and flip. So, I do want to ask one thing. So you said you could get the commercial financing for properties as long as they're in your LLC. Could you tell people a little bit more about that process? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, dude, this is the right, y'all gonna get me deep right now. This is what this is what wealth building is all about, man. This is where you take it and your portfolio just explodes. When I found this out, because we get it on a smaller level, right? You know, my mother and my aunts and everything else used to do this, right? So when your Comcast bill get cut off, right? And your Comcast bill is like $400. I don't know if y'all have Comcast, but your cable bill down there, whatever the cable company is, or your electricity bill get cut off. People used to do it and they used to be like, well, my daughter don't, that has a clean social security number, right? So I'm gonna go throw the electricity bill in her name and get it turned back on. So it's the same exact concept, just on a professional scale, right? So when I go start an LLC, it's 123 Main Street. That LLC. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Is I'm going to start it up and put the LLC together. And I usually name it after the property that I'm going to buy, right? 123 Main Street or whatever it is. It has a separate tax ID on it. 
So I go get a, uh, you can pull this up on irs.gov. You can go get a new business identification number in two minutes. So now I have a separate entity and the commercial loans, they don't care. A commercial bank is going to say, as long as the property makes sense, as long as the property is cash flowing and you can get the rents from it, we'll loan that LLC, that brand new LLC money to buy that property and fix it up and hold on to it. And tell you the truth, they would actually rather do that because when you own a property in your individual name and you live there, it's harder to get you out and foreclose on that property if you don't pay. Bank is like, hey, if that commercial loan, you don't pay us, we're just going to take the property. You know what I'm saying? So, and the sweetest thing about this is, and, and I'm sorry, I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here, right? Right. But the best thing about this is, is when you start to establish other businesses, right? Because that, even if you hold that, that one, two, three Main Street LLC, it's got a separate tax ID. The cool thing about it is, is that tax ID is just like a kid, right? It gets older and it starts to get credit. You sign, you co-sign on it initially, but then you start to build credit with that LLC. And then eventually that kid grows up and it goes out and gets his own credit. It gets his own credit cards. It gets his own line of credit. And then, but you're in control of that kid, right? It's actually better than having a kid because your kid's going to have his own thinking and own understanding and want to go do things and get married. This kid, you can control whatever he does or she does, right? So you start to use that credit to leverage yourself to go get even more assets, right? It's a snowball effect. It's, it's just a big kind of game, crazy. man. It's just a game <laughs> with a whole bunch of layers. It's crazy, man. But that's where the books is coming in, man. I talked to y'all a little bit before we started. I was like, I'm sitting here writing and I'm like, you know, what I thought was going to be one book turned into a three book series is cash flow secrets, business secrets. Cash flow secrets is all about maximizing that, that conventional lending, right? Getting that from one to 10 units. And then after you do that, is turning it into a real business. It's using the LLCs. It's using the, you know, the LLCs and tax IDs to build that portfolio. And then wealth secrets is all about bringing it back home, 529 plans, preparing for the future, wills, how do you use land trust? How do you use living trust to make sure? So one of the things, and again, I'm off on a you know, complete tangent, but one of the things I like about the living trust is you can, um, and this is one of the things that my grandmother, if I could take it back for a second, one of my things my grandmother didn't do when she passed, she didn't have a will in place. When she passed, we found like three separate wills around the house that she had handwritten with separate dates and they didn't really make sense. And here in Massachusetts, you have to have it notarized or it's not legal. So it was chaos. People coming out of the woodworks, trying to collect things and trying to, this is mine. I want the clothes and all this other stuff. So one of the things I promised my wife and I promised my family we would do is we would put some things in place to make sure that that never happened to us. So part of that is a will and then a living trust. A living trust says, I can now dictate how my money is used long after I'm gone, right? So living trust basically says, hey, I got a $500,000 in trust for my two kids. Little Willie can't have uh, more than $200,000 or $100,000 by the time he turns 21. The other $100,000 will not leave the trust unless he graduates from college. Once he turns 35, he can get the last $200,000. Um, or, you know what I'm saying? You could dictate it in any way you want long after you're gone. I could be dead for 20 years and still being di- you're still dictating how my money is spent um, long. And that's what the living trust does. It allows you to make sure if you die and you have two heirs, right? You don't want your 19-year-old, and this don't disrespect anybody that's 19, because I was a pretty mature kid at 19, but you don't want your 19-year-old kid getting a half a million dollars that you just you know, worked your whole life to build up, and now he's or she's chilling with it. The living trust basically says you can kind of dictate, hey, you got to graduate from college. You got to get out of high school. Mm-hmm. And you know, I want you to you know, not get a bulk of it at 25. I want you to actually get some of it at 35 to make sure that you, this money lasts over your lifetime. Mm-hmm. You can even say, hey, you can never sell this piece of property. 
you have to invest in real estate and take out a family business or you won't get any of this, you know, this stuff. So my wife and I kind of went out and said, here are the things that we want to do. If we get hit by a bus tomorrow, we can put these things in place. And obviously they'll change over time and everything like that. But at least if something happens to us, those assets are in place for us. Hey man, that's crazy. And that's the true power of wealth. A lot of people, you know, we've been preaching, you know, LLC, LLC, but the real game is like, like estate the, those estates and those trusts and everything. Because even like with Walt Disney, he controlled what the hell's going on. Even yeah. with Walmart, they controlled Persian. what the hell is going on way past what they were here. The original founder, yeah. like the original yeah. founder. Yeah. And that's like you were just saying, that's one of the biggest things in wealth building that like we yeah, like you just said, we talk about this a lot of time. We talk about wealth creation, but we don't talk always on the way to maintain it and keep it for the generations and the trust in that estate plan. And that's a major part of it. I'm yeah, glad I, you're writing a book about that, bro. Cause I, I, I appreciate it, man. Cause this is the stuff that's sitting here and is blowing my mind. And I'm kind of like, I'm, as I'm learning about it, I'm like, I gotta, I, I have to share this word. This is, this is the stuff that, you know, like I said, you talk about Walt Disney, one of the cool things about the LLC and everything or, you know, buying things in, in a trust is you, you stay anonymous. You can keep your name off it. So one of the things that Walt Disney did um, is when he was buying up land in like Florida and, you know, some of these other places where he was, you know, I, I can't remember where all the locations are. If you see, hey, yeah, I want to, you know, you're trying to sell your house and an offer come through and you see Walt Disney on it. You're like, yo, I'm trying to jack up this price, yeah. right? So he would never buy anything in his own name. He would have one, two, three holdings LLC or whatever it is, you know, the put nothing to do with Walt Disney, but he would own that entity, right? So he would snatch up the house and then all of a sudden tear to tear it down and expand Walt Disney land. And that's how a lot of, you know, the, you, if you can stay anonymous, you can do some amazing things as well. And that's what the land trust and the LLCs allow you to do as well. Hey, that's dope. And because I was listening to this podcast this week, it's called Business Wars. And uh, that had happened with Walmart. A lot of people didn't like the way that culture of Walmart was going. And they yeah. found out that they owned this one company. The company was doing real well. Once they found that out that Walmart owned the company, it started to taint because people right. was like, oh, I don't want to support Walmart. Right. So that's crazy, like how that staying anonymous can be a good thing for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And at a certain point, you want to, you get to a certain point where you don't want your name on everything, right? I mean, at first it becomes like a, an ego thing, right? Where you're like, I got this and I own this and you hear it. I mean, everybody's on the podcast on how many units they own and everything else. And, um, you know, you're trying to put yourself out there, rightfully so. But at a certain point, you get to a certain point where you're like, I don't really want people to know what I got. You know what I'm saying? Because you want to stay, you want to stay anonymous, especially if your name's Walt Disney, if your name's, you know, uh, Bezos. Jeff Bezos. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If your name's Bezos, you don't want people to know what you got. You want to stay stay out the loop so um and that's what all that's that's the stuff that we're not hit to yet but we're, we're you know it is coming like i said using those land trusts using that stuff to keep your name you know anonymous and even with the llc's you do the same exact thing and there was one more part that you talked about with this commercial side that i kind of want to dig into and it was the part that it has to make sense for the banks and i think that's a big way that a lot of people don't get deals done because they don't understand that it doesn't make sense for the banks they got to get it clear through the underwriters. They, they mm. got to know how to speak to the underwriters. So can you kind of break down, break that down to people? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess the easiest way to say it is like you can't have, let's say if you're mortgage, if you look at a piece of property and a lot of times why, you know, single families in the Northeast don't really work. Let's say if you look at a piece of property and you say, if I buy this piece of property at 100000 
and my taxes and my insurance and everything, I put it on there and you know, all my payments would be $1,200. If you're getting clearly $1,000 in rent, if you look at the rental value of that property, it's $1,000, you're losing money every month. That doesn't make sense for the bank. That's not a good investment, right? So the bank wants a certain, it's called a debt coverage ratio, I think is the biggest thing, right? Is they want to make sure that the debt is covered. All of your expenses are covered by a certain percent. Usually it's, you know, 1.2, 1.25. But I mean, I would say a good investment is, you know, if you're, all your expenses are $1,200, maybe if you're pulling dollars $1,800 in rental income from it, now the bank says, okay, this makes financial sense, right? Because the bank's also saying, you might be thinking, I don't have management fees, I don't have this. But the bank's saying, if I have to take this from you, I got to add a management company to it. I got to, you know, write a realtor to sell it and everything else. So you're, I mean, at the end of the day, real estate is very simple, right? You have income and you have expenses. You just add up all of your expenses and you add up all of your income and you want your income to exceed those expenses by as much as possible, right? If it barely cuts it over, if you got $10,000 in expenses and $11,000 in income, that's just not going to cut it, right? You really want it to cover by one and a half or, you know, or somewhere close to that percent, if that, make, if that makes sense to y'all. Well, definitely, my brother. Appreciate it. All right. Now, I do kind of want to move on and hop into the Wealth Builder Nation because I need the people to know more about that. So can you give people, like, first, tell me how it started and then just explain to them what the Wealth Builder Nation is? Yeah, man, absolutely. So Wealth Builder Nation started because I'm 23 when I bought my first house and you know, I'm buying a second one, 26, 27. I'm reading all these books. I'm reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm reading The Millionaire Real Estate Investor, Gary Keller. Um, I'm reading all this stuff. And the people that I'm connected with, and that's why, I mean, I applaud y'all. Because, I mean, trying to find four guys that think, you know, on the same wavelength, you know, is hard to find, right? So the guys that I'm going to school with, the guys that I grew up with, I can't talk to them. I can't talk to them about the things that I'm doing. They're talking about completely separate things. I'm snatching up houses and trying to plan for the next 15, 20 years. And they're talking about this weekend, right? So there's no other word for it, but lonely. That's really what I was, man. I was lonely. So I said, I, I stumbled across meetup.com and I said, yo, how do I go out and find other people that, that think like me, that want to do the things that I want to do? And I went to a couple real estate investor networking meetings. It was a bunch of old heads just sitting there, you know, just thinking about looking at the screen. And I was like, I really want to get in deep and, you know, find some younger people. So I started, it was Boston Wealth Builders initially. And I just, you know, went out there and just started teaching people about what I was doing in the multifamily space and just kind of connecting and meeting realtors and agents and mortgage brokers in the neighborhood. And it just exploded. You know, it went from, you know, a hundred people to a thousand people to a couple thousand people to a point where we was, you know, getting invites from, you know, all over. And, you know, in the last couple of months, you know, we've taken it nationally. We're in Chicago now. We're in Atlanta. So it's Atlanta Wealth Builders, Chicago Wealth Builders. Um, you know, the website is wealthbuildergroups.com. You can go on there. We're going to be expanding into probably four or five other cities in the next, before the year is over as well. And it's the same concept. It's basically just hopping on stuff like this and teaching people on a webinar. How do they buy? How do you use a land trust? How do you use an LLC? And then we'll have local people, you know, within each of those cities as well to do rehab tours, take you out to, you know, I got connections in Chicago, Atlanta, and Austin right now. They'll take you out to their properties and show you, this is what it looks like to run through a gutted building. This is how finance, this is the property I'm working on. So that way you're not just looking at me talking about my Boston experience, but you're also looking at local boots on the ground that can show you what's going on in that particular neighborhood as well. So that's, that's Wealth Builder Nation and that's wealthbuildergroups.com. 
Hey, man, that's dope. I applaud you for that, man. Big ups to you. I'm happy for you and your success, bro. Congratulations on taking this national, man. I can't wait to see the growth that's going to come from this. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been on. It's been, it's just been fun, man. It's just fun just getting out there and meeting new people. And just, you get excited when you meet brothers like yourself that's really passionate about, you know, and understand and have a real hunger for knowledge, man. So I appreciate, you know, the big ups, but, you know, same to y'all, man. I, y'all platform is amazing in what y'all doing. Like I said, I hear your name everywhere and y'all keep it up, man. So appreciate it. It was pretty much the same thing for us, though. Like we just were talking amongst ourselves and we just wanted to share that knowledge with people. But that loneliness, that's, that's a real thing for like entrepreneurs, man. I'm glad that you kind of like brought that up because I don't think people understand the loneliness that comes with being an entrepreneur because half of the time you're working on your business. So half of the time you locked in and you focus. The other half of the time, whenever you are trying to relax or something, you might want to talk about a higher level thinking topic. You might want to talk about something that the average person is not going to talk about. Right. But once you get around the family or you get around your friends, they want to talk about, oh man, I might go do this to my car or I can't wait to go on this trip next weekend. Or, Just talking about spending money. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, 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 it's real, man. And, then, and even when you get a little bit, people's, oh, that's rich guy problems. And you got, you know, like I said, and I'm, I'm like, I'm not rich, bro. I'm just talking about something else that y'all should be talking about. People think that you don't start talking about retirement and stuff until your 40s or your 50s and stuff like that. I mean, by that time, if you're not thinking about it, it's too late. You know, it's too late at that point. You don't have any time. I mean, compounding interest. Anybody know anybody think about compounding interest? You know, you got to start early, man. So, but yeah, no, that's really what it comes down. Being an entrepreneur, being an investor is lonely. Like I said, it all comes back to at the end of the day, not everybody's going to take this path. If everybody was successful, nobody would be. If everybody was, was rich, nobody would be. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So it's just like you have to embrace it, though. You have to find other people that's on the same path as you and open it up. And that's part of what it was. It was kind of like, you know, I needed to find other people that I could just share with. I could just sit down and have that conversation with, like you said, on the weekends. We can go out and grab a drink and still chill, but mm-hmm. we just don't need to be extravagant, right? We don't need to spend all the money that we made Monday through Friday on Saturday, you know, so. Hey, that's big old facts, man. And like, that's why, like you said, we, I'm lucky to have these guys because on the weekends, we can still hang out and just right. do stuff, right. but we don't have to do all this expensive stuff because we know our goal is bigger than what we're right. trying to do right now. Right. I'm trying to be, go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. I'm keep cutting you off, bro. Oh, no, no, no. You're good. You're good. <laughs> I was just about to say, and even further than like spending money or like going out with stuff like that, it can even be the fact that like we can talk about, you know, how the stock market is doing and it's just regular conversation. Like we're not purely trying to talk about how we going to invest or something like that, but it's just, Hey, did you see what happened with Johnson and Johnson? They got approved right. for the vaccine. That was pretty cool. Yeah. No, it's absolutely, man. Like I said, it's uh. Yeah, it's a powerful thing when you got your people behind you, man, and you can just go out there and, and do something. But, you know, talking about spending money and all that other stuff, I'm not a big clothes person. I'm not a big car person. I'm just, I'm the type of person, look, man, while everybody else is working their ass off, I'm going to be somewhere in Capri, Italy, just sipping on something, chilling, you know, at 45. I'm trying to, to, to be in Bora Bora. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> basically, bro, basically. Like, me and my wife went there for our honeymoon, and I've been dying to get back ever since, bro. It's uh. You know, the Amalfi Coast, man, that is an amazing place, bro. I'm like, that's where I'm trying to be. I'm working my ass off right now so I, we could be there. And I want to be one of those dudes that be like, yeah, I'm going to be out. I'm going to see y'all in a couple months. You know, like I said, and I'll be Yay. back. You know what I'm saying? And, and the business is still running. I'll check in. I'll be online checking in with the property manager, whatever it is. You know, like I said, and, you know, and other than that, we go on. So I'm sacrificing a little bit today 
so I can, you know, reap the benefits tomorrow, man. So delayed gratification. But that's right. That topic you just hit on, man, that's important too. A lot of people don't understand that you need to build a business mm. that can run without be. you being there. You knew I was gonna talk about it. But like a lot of people they don't understand that like you need to be able to remove yourself from that business and it should still be able to replicate with or without you there. That's like a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people are just self-employed they, they instead of business, business owned. Self-employed. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, dude, if you, I mean, that's with anything. If you own an auto body, if you own a nail shop and you're the only one in there doing nails, you're self-employed. You don't own a business. Your name might be on the door. That's not a company, right? I mean, you need to be able to put systems in place and it's all about, you know, the e-myth, right? It's all about documenting what you do and putting systems in place to be able to replace yourself, right? If you do something well, if you're a nail tech and you say, okay, I want, I don't, I don't get my nails done, so I don't know why I use that example, but let's say you were, <laughs> say you, you were a barber, right? And you said, yeah, you know, this, this, and this. You need to be able to put people in place, hire people to take yourself out of the day-to-day operations. If you're still in the day-to-day operations, then you don't, you have a job. You know, like I said, you're a manager. You need to be able to be able to take a week off, two weeks off, be able to check in, right? It's never really going to be entirely passive, right? You need to be able to check in. You need to be able to manage the manager. But if you need to be there on day-to-day, and if you're not there on a day-to-day, your business stops making money, like you guys mentioned, you're self-employed at that point, which is still commendable, but it's not the goal, right? The goal is to be a business owner, not to run a business. And I'm so glad you mentioned that e-myth, bro. Because yep. I like just listen to it again. That, we've been on that real heavy lately because yep. you know, we told you prior to us getting on, that like we're a year and a half into this journey. Yeah. And we were all on separate entrepreneurial journeys and we decided to put our efforts together. So going through that and that creating the systems and like documenting what we do, that's a process that we're going through right now. Right. And like, that's why I think it resonates so heavy for us whenever we talk about this subject, because people really need to understand that that's not an easy task it's either. Not, right, right. It's not it's like not, this it's is not, something no. that you're gonna do. Like, oh yeah. I've been doing this work for myself 10 years. I could easily teach somebody how to do it. No. Not as easy as you think. Teaching is not the key because I've made this mistake several times, right? So teaching is not the key because you can come in and teach somebody how you do the business. But what happens when they leave? Hmm. All that teaching just went out the window. What you need to do is document and create systems. So when you come in, that person, there's a system in place. I give you a perfect example. I worked at McDonald's when I was 15. There was no guy that came in. I mean, you had a manager. But in every single McDonald's manual, they tell you literally how long the fries is going to be down for. They tell you when to flip the burger. There's nothing left to chance, right? You don't, it's not like Jared's going to go in there one day and flip the burger after 15 seconds and, and David's going to go in there and then use a 20. They literally tell you 25 seconds, you flip the burger. It stays on for another 30 seconds. Then you take it off. You put it into the warmer. The fries stay down for exactly three minutes. The thing beeps, picked back up. You have X amount of time to get through the drive-through. That's how you want to build your business. You want to basically create whatever it is you do. You want to create the best system for that. You know, like you have to do it yourself. Document what you do, create the system, and to a point where you can hand it off to somebody else with very few checks and balances and be able to kind of walk away and go create the next system. You know what I'm saying? That's really what it comes down to. If you want to think about McDonald's and how they operate, there's nothing you can go to McDonald's in New Orleans, or you can go to McDonald's in Boston, and there's no difference. There's no, they don't taste different. You know, they don't operate any differently. 
the drive that dude the m the golden m's is not pink in new orleans and, and golden in the boston ice cream machine still gonna be broken right <laughs> it's broken it's broken east coast to west coast bro so, oh, yeah. you know so you know that's the really the, the way you want to operate is if you truly want to build a business you know you could be running something for 15 years and then you get sick you get coronavirus you get whatever you know a leg injury or heart and if that business just completely just shuts down you never had a business you were self-employed when something happens to your kitchen you might say this is ludicrous but that won't fix your home that will only get you the rapper ludicrous having trouble don't panic don't be alarmed you need to file a claim holla at state farm like a good neighbor state farm is there that's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. And also to add on to that, a lot of people think that you have to lose your personal touch when you add those systems. And that's not true as well. Yeah. You can definitely keep your personal touch, just add it to the systems. Yeah. No, people, this, this, yeah, but uh, nobody cuts hair. Nobody does the nails like I do. And nobody can fix the car like I fix Nah, bro, there's people don't, and I, it took me a long time to get over this too. Cause even in my real estate business, when I was on the sales side, I used to be like, nobody can, you know, talk the talk like I talk the talk, right? Nobody can spit at it. You know, we can spit that sales stuff like I spit it, but it wasn't true. There people have a, you know, your clients or your consumers have a certain standard that they expect. And as long as whoever is replacing you keeps that certain standard, your consumers will be okay if it's not you. It took me a long time to get over that, but I had to be like, yo, I'm not available on Saturday. I'm not available on Sunday to go to this open house. Here's my guy. He's one of my agents and he's just as good as I am. And I have to teach him. This is what you want to do during this open house. You want to make sure you got balloons tied to the sign. You want to make sure you're 30 minutes early. You want to make sure you got cookies in the oven. You sprayed some, whatever it is you want to do. Those are the things that I was doing, right? I put some music on. You just write those things down, put it into a system, put a timetable on it and hand it off to somebody else. And with the expectation, that's how I was actually able to grow a business get away from the day-to-day of running a real estate company and started focusing again back on the investment side. Real, real life gems, real life. So Willie, we're going to go ahead and we're going to pivot to the last segment of the show. We're going to do what's on your timeline. So we just want to ask you, what's something that you saw on social media that you want to talk about? Something I saw on social media that I want to talk about. Damn, I think we covered everything I saw on social media <laughs> I wanted to talk about. Um... I would say, you know, this coronavirus thing is a big thing throughout the country, right? I think a lot of people is, is dealing with this thing in certain, in different ways. I wouldn't say it's necessarily on my timeline, but what I'd like to say to, you know, some people that's listening is use this opportunity, right? There's some people that's on unemployment and they get 20 weeks, right? Or 20 weeks worth of unemployment. And they're looking at it as an opportunity to sit around and kind of just hang out, Right. This is an opportunity to go out and explore and build a business that you didn't have before, an opportunity to go learn a new skill, an opportunity to go take a course that you didn't have the time to do before. People always come up with excuses, right? They're like, oh, I got to, I'm working 40 hours. I got two kids at home. I got, you know, my mother-in-law, blah, blah, blah. I don't have time. Well, now you do. Now you have that gap. And if you're going to waste this opportunity, I think, you know, like, dude, it's going to be one of the things that I came in the books that I mentioned, I'm talking about, I'm right. I've been working on these things for years. But now coronavirus shut down the real estate industry in Boston. It kind of put things, I used that time from day one, from the moment I was home to say, I got to finish these things. I got to put these things in place now. And now I have three assets that I didn't have before, right? So take a course, go out and learn a new skill, listen to podcasts, learn something that you didn't know and come out of this 
experience better than you were going in is the one thing that I would say to anybody that's listening. Speaking of those books, can you touch back on those one more time? Because I want to buy them myself. Like, I need you to break down this trilogy. Like, (laughs) can you let them know? Let the followers know what's going on? So, it's, um, I started off as one. I just kind of, it just started flowing out of me, man. So, the first book that's coming out is Cashflow Secrets. And that's really about all the things that'll take you from buying that first multifamily, how to raise the down payment, FHA financing you know, why you shouldn't buy with your spouse. I'm going to give you all a little secret right here. You know, me and my wife bought things separately. I told you that, right? So part of you getting approved for a loan, and I hate the way HGTV does this. They show you on HGTV, house hunters, you got the kid, you got the people swinging the keys and they at the table together, right? And that's great. You buying something with your spouse, but if your spouse can afford to buy it on your own, or you can afford to buy it on your own, you should, because part of your lending or part of getting a loan is your debt to income ratio. So if you buy a house together, that $2,000 mortgage is tied to both you and your spouse's Mm. debt to income ratio, right? So both that $2,000 is weighing both of you down. It's like having a credit card and having both y'all weighed down by that same payment. If your wife can afford that $2,000, most people are like, I don't know, she takes off, blah, blah, blah. People are worried about the wrong things. You let your wife go, buy it on her own, or you buy it on your own. Now your wife or you have a, you freed up to have credit to use to go do something else, to buy your mother-in-law a house, to buy you know, her family a house, to go buy a vacation home, do whatever you want to do, but don't let that credit tie y'all both down. So it's just stuff like that, that cash flow Secrets is about. And then business secrets. Business secrets is like y'all talked about, build, taking it to the next level, putting systems in place, the BRR strategy, using an LLC, taking your portfolio to the next level. With business secrets, you could take it from you know, cash flow Secrets is two to 10 Business secrets is 10 to however many you want to get to, whatever that cash flow, that financial freedom number is. And then wealth secrets is kind of concludes the series. Wealth secrets is estate planning. It's basically the equivalent of business secrets, but it's bringing it back to your home life. It's making sure that you, know, you and your wife are good. It's talking about good health and good wealth and you know, making sure that you're, I mean, what's the point of building a substantial portfolio if you're not taking care of yourself, right? The estate planning, the wills, the trust, you know, and just all the stuff that goes back to the personal side of generational wealth. Hey, man. Thank you for coming on here this Saturday, my brother. <laughs> I appreciate this conversation. I appreciate y'all having me, man. I appreciate y'all building the platform, man, for stuff like this and putting out the good word, man, because it is very much needed, you know, out there. And y'all built in something amazing. I'm honored to, to be able to share, you know, this on there with y'all. So appreciate we, we it, appreciate my you. So, Willie, can you do us a favor? I know the people, they need to know. How can they get in contact with you? How can, how can they follow they find you? you? Where they can follow you? How they can get the books? Please yeah, let them know. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram as well. I don't have I'm not the I don't have the following that y'all have, but I'm at uh, at WJ Mandrell. So W J M A N D R E L L, and it is uh, Real Wealth Builders. I'm on. I got two accounts on there. Real Wealth Builders as well, and that's the Real Wealth Builders is the Wealth Builder Nation um, account, and then RealWealthBooks.com. RealWealthBooks.com. They're not released yet, but they're coming out. And if you hop on there, you can put your email address in, uh, you put your information in. Like I said, you'll get something from us as soon as they're available on Amazon. We're going to do some pre-orders and you can, like I said, get them shipped out to you immediately. So yeah, so realwealthbooks.com at WJ Mandrell and at Real Wealth Builders on Instagram. And you know, y'all, we got to put that down in the show notes for you because yeah, we need y'all to check them out. I know the Real Wealth Secrets, that, hey. 
Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's hard. <laughs> I'm in that business secrets book. I just need y'all to know that one. I got to find that one immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, man. I'm going to give y'all a signed copy of that one as soon as, as, soon as oh. it comes out, man. Hey, appreciate hey. it, my brother. Appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> No, I appreciate y'all having me on, man. Like I said, so hopefully this was helpful for, you know, like I said, the listeners. And like I said, if I can do anything with y'all, um, if I'm ever in that area down there, definitely hit y'all up and we have to get up. Let us uh, know. Sure. And when, if we ever, well, when, when we that, come when through. That, when the world yeah. open back up. <laughs> it's all safe and everything. We, we coming, man. We definitely, this corona definitely messes up, man. We had a whole little tour and everything kind of, we are working up to, man. So it definitely kind of messes up, but we coming back. In full effect, and we're gonna be back better than ever. Nah, man, that's that's what's up, man. I appreciate y'all. No problem, my brother. And before we close off the show, we're gonna get into some house cleaning. And just once again, want to say thank you to all our listeners for coming in every week, just being supportive. We thank you guys. Thank you to all the new listeners. If this is your first episode, we hope that you loved it. Tell your family and friends about it. Let everybody know about it. We're just trying to drop the game and the gems that the culture needs. We do want to say, y'all check out our Credit Fundamentals 101 that we just dropped. Our boy Jared, he out here, he did put the course together. It's a BWR course. It's not telling you, you know, how to boost your credit and just get it done in 60 days. We're actually teaching you how to actually manage your credit, how your credit works, what affects your credit, so you can actually start to make those smarter, better decisions. Anybody else got anything that they want to add? Y'all, last thing I want to add is y'all check out our ebook. Manage your money like the 1%. Yeah. It's available. Link in our bio. Put the link in the show notes. Just a beginner's guide on how you can start to change your mindset around money, start saving your money, and get ready to start investing in a bunch of different vehicles. But yeah. Oh, I got one more thing, man. I do want to tell y'all be on the lookout for the podcast profits course. It's a podcast profit course. I'm going to be teaching you guys how to edit your podcast but also show you guys how you can start making money from your podcast, passive money from your podcast, show you guys how to find your target audience, how to really niche down. And then on that swap side, show you guys how to edit audio. The podcast industry is starting to boom. Joe Joe Rogan just just got got paid a hundred million dollars from Spotify and plenty of people are jumping in there. So if you understand a basic skill of editing audio, you can make you upwards to 30 to $40 an hour just by editing audio. So that's another course that we're going to be dropping really soon. We just want to keep on teaching people skills that you can actually learn and start putting into action with after you start learning. Anybody else? No, sir. Well, this is Blackwell from the sign signing out. Peace. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing out the paper, all I know is blood, money, marriage. You can catch me with a dime piece. Me and the money inside me. Diamonds in my top piece. Diamonds in my top piece. Yeah. Gotta get it on the daily, all I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing out the paper, all I know is blood, money, marathon. With every monthly bill, like rent and car payments, you know exactly what you're getting when you pay for it. But health insurance plans feel like the total opposite. They're confusing and expensive. Then when you actually have to use your benefits, there are deductibles, claims, processes, and other red tape to deal with. But CrowdHealth puts you back in control of your health care. CrowdHealth is simple, transparent, and affordable. 
As a member, you'll get a personal care advocate who is with you every step of the way to help navigate the complexities of health events. They'll even negotiate bills on your behalf and could save you thousands of dollars in the process. Plus, you'll get access to thousands of other members who are ready to help pay for large health expenses. Experience healthcare freedom with CrowdHealth. Visit joincrowdhealth.com and use code HEALTH to get your first three months for just $99 per month. That's joincrowdhealth.com code HEALTH. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for healthcare. Terms and conditions may apply. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.